Welcome to another episode of Iona Business, where we focus on helping practice owners grow the practice of their dreams. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Vargo, and I have with me Corey Friedman. And Corey is part of the benefits consulting practice with Alera Group. And for the past 13 years, Corey's been helping healthcare practices and small employers implement and manage healthcare and benefits programs. He supports organizations all over the country in a wide range of specialties. So hello, Corey. Hello. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So before we get started, Corey, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about you and how you work with clients, many of which happen to be healthcare professionals. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, as mentioned, I've spent, uh, you know, a little more than, than a decade um, working primarily with smaller independent healthcare practices, helping them structure their employee benefit programs. And that means different things to different people. For some, it's health insurance. For others, it's, you know, dental or vision benefits or disability programs, uh, or even, you know, newer, uh, untraditional or unconventional things like lifestyle spending accounts, uh, anything that falls under that employee benefits umbrella. And, um, what you know what i've found over time and in the way that we like to work with clients um which is you know different than what others are maybe experiencing is that for smaller businesses we're finding that the relationship between you know business owner manager and insurance broker is becoming a lot more transactional there's been a lot of consolidation in the insurance agency space and as firms get larger they often move up market you know diverting resources away from smaller businesses and um, our firm saw an opportunity to double down and you know, continue to reinvest and support smaller businesses, really looking for a more strategic partner, somebody that's going to offer more guidance and be more proactive and more supportive and a lot less transactional. Um, and you take that sort of coupled with on the other side, if you look at you know, just different healthcare sectors in our country, there's been a lot of consolidation there too. We're seeing a lot of larger you know, private equity owned, um, multi-site, multi-state healthcare practices across dermatology or dental or veterinary medicine or optometry, you name it. And as, you know, independent practices are forced to compete for that same talent, but don't have the same resources, they're looking for someone that can help guide them to better understand what are the benefits that we should be offering? You know, how can we compete, you know, with some of the, the larger companies in our industry and what can we be doing to help us stand out from the pack? So we take a much more consultative approach, you know, really trying to understand the problems that we're being asked to solve. What is it that the client is struggling with and then working backwards from there. That's really where I'd like to take this discussion. You, when we talked before, you said something that really stuck out to me and correct me if I'm getting it wrong here, but I believe you said when discussing benefits, we're really discussing talent acquisition and retention. And that, that really clicked with me. It's a pain point, as you know, as most people know, for many practice owners and, and small business in general is the issue right now of talent acquisition and retention. Uh, with especially with with small businesses that are trying to compete with larger employers that may offer better benefits or may offer benefits in general that that you don't offer. So if we were just to start from point A, and if I would ask you, if you're an optometrist today and you want to offer benefits to employees, but you aren't offering anything at the moment, which to that point could be costing you talent acquisition and retention and probably is costing you um, for that optometrist, where's a good place to start? 
Yeah, it's a really, really, really good question. Um, and I think you're you're spot on. You know, from from where we sit, a conversation about benefits is a conversation about talent acquisition and retention, especially for smaller businesses. And the reason why I say that is this. Um, if you're a small business, uh, you know, defined in most, um, you know, states as having fewer than 50 employees. So let's just, you know, for conversation's sake, use that as a reference point. Uh, if you've got fewer than 50 employees, there's no law or mandate or requirement that you offer health insurance or benefits to your employees. So if you're going to do it, right, you're choosing to do it, then you're probably choosing to do it, not because someone's telling you you have to, but because you believe, right, that it will help you attract and retain talent, that investing in your employees is worthwhile, that you care, right, about the, you know, livelihood of, of your workforce and, you know, want to make these resources or these programs available. And so if that's, you know, where we're starting from, um, right, then it's a question of, what should we do first, right? We're not offering anything today. We believe all those things are true. We want to invest in our people. We think it's crucial to the success of our business, right? That we retain, you know, the, the talent that we need. Where do we get started? So when somebody engages, you know, with me or a member of my team, you know, we're, like I said, really trying to start with what is the problem that we're trying to solve for and working backwards from there. So we're going to ask a lot of questions around, what are you doing today? What are you not doing? What have you decided against in the past? Uh, you know, have you ever looked at offering health insurance or other benefits and really trying to understand, you know, where we're starting from? Um, but sometimes, you know, we think that it's worth involving employees too, right? So survey them. We encourage a lot of people to survey their employees and, um, you know, try to get some feedback from them about what they would want out of a benefits program versus, you know, the employer coming to me and just assuming health insurance is the driver, right? That's the thing that we need, um, which happens all the time. And then we roll out a health insurance program and find, you know, only one or two people are actually interested in participating. Well, that's a whole lot of, you know, wasted time and effort if that wasn't the thing that, you know, really gets people excited or energized. So I think um, to avoid a lot of wasted time and effort on the back end, getting some employee feedback early on is really critical. But then I also think it's really important to try to understand if you were to offer, you know, health insurance or some of these other benefits, what are maybe some of the adverse consequences that, uh, you know, you might run into as an employer? So for example, if you've got employees that are getting coverage today through a spouse's employer or are getting coverage today through like one of the Affordable Care Act marketplaces and maybe even getting that coverage subsidized, it's possible that if you as an employer were to offer coverage to your employees, they could become ineligible for the subsidy they have through the ACA marketplace, or even potentially, you know, uh, become ineligible for coverage through their spouses employers program. And so trying to understand too, like what are some of those different dynamics, I think is really important. Um, and then once we have our ducks in a row, so we've identified what is important to employees. So maybe it's health insurance, maybe it's not, right? Maybe it's dental or, you know, vision or some of these other things, you know, probably in, in your world, right? And working with your members, vision's probably not the big driver. They've got, you know, discounted care available through, through the employers that, you know, most of them work for. But, um, whatever it is, figure out what that thing is. Then I think it's really important to engage with, you know, a true broker or advisor, someone that can help expose you as a business owner to what's possible. Like that, I think is the most critical thing because oftentimes employers don't know what they don't know. 
And so it's really important to sit down with somebody and learn what are the different opportunities that are available, whether it be for health insurance or anything else. And then try to identify what is, you know, most aligned with whatever that target objective or outcome is that we're trying to achieve. And then let that person go to work for you. Um, and I would say that also identifying the right, you know, insurance broker, consultant, you know, advisor, whatever term you want to use, but partner on the front end is really important too. I think there's this misconception among business owners that, talking to multiple insurance brokers at the same time somehow makes the market more competitive. And that if you have more people competing for your business, the result's going to get better. And the reality is that's just not the case. As insurance brokers, we all get access to the same plans at the same price from the same insurance companies. So, you know, there's nothing I can offer, you know, an employer that somebody else couldn't uh, and vice versa. It very much is expertise, support, approach. Like those are the differentiators. And so um, finding somebody that you think is going to be the right partner for you is critical. Cut out all of the noise, right? And then let that person go to work for you. It's, I, I like that approach of, of surveying your employees. Because one, I just think it sends the right message from the beginning that you actually care about your employees when you go to yeah. them and say what's important to you. But, you know, I, I get asked this a lot too as a consultant, and maybe it comes up, let's say, when you're hiring an associate OD where a practice owner might say, you know, how much should I offer to pay them? What benefits should I offer? And I can give general feedback, of course, based on averages and, you know, what we hear in the industry. But at the same time, sometimes I'll tell them, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what's important to them. Yep. So seeking to better understand maybe in the interview process, what they're looking for can help you craft that offer. So I, I, I definitely like that approach. Um, another thing I'll hear a lot is, which plan to choose? People will ask, like, where do I go? How do I find what what plans do I um, should I look at? So I, I think the question is, can employers offer more than one plan choice to their employees? Yeah, so that's another another really good question. And something that comes up all the time is this belief that if I'm an employer, and I'm going to design a benefits program, um, I'm going to offer health insurance, for example, I have to pick one plan to offer to my employees, you know, on a take it or leave it basis. And recognizing that not everybody has the same needs or same desires, right? Same family makeup or budget, whatever the case might be, that gives me, you know, um, some hesitation as a business owner because I'm fearful that I won't be able to find something that satisfies, you know, everybody. And so sometimes that's the reason why people choose not to get started. And I would say one of the biggest, you know, myths that, you know, that that's sort of out there in the market is that you have, as an employer can only offer one plan option to employees. That's simply not the case. So there definitely are some rules and some limitations and different insurance companies in different markets impose, you know, certain rules. So for example, you know, there's some markets like in Florida where, you know, some insurance companies require that you have a minimum number of people enrolled to offer more than one option, but it's rare. Generally speaking, in almost every situation, an employer can offer more than one health plan choice to their employees, and we encourage them to do so. Um, not everybody has the same needs, right? Some are willing to spend more money for a richer benefit plan. Uh, maybe they want to, you know, cover their kids because they're always at the pediatrician or whatever the case might be. So they're willing to spend a little bit more on the front end so they have a richer benefit on the back end. And you might find others are younger, healthier, maybe looking for more of a catastrophic option. They just want to know that if something major were to happen, that they're covered. But beyond that, they're not super concerned and they really are looking for the lowest cost option. Um, and as an employer, you can satisfy, you know, multiple people at the same time by giving them choice. And we absolutely believe 
in employee choice. Um, what is important to know though is that you have to pick one insurance company typically. So you can't, for example, offer Blue Cross and United Healthcare at the same time, but within any of those carriers, you know, framework, you can offer more than one plan option. So it takes some of the pressure then off the owner to yeah, have take the some of the pressure plan. off. So for sure. um, maybe a part B to that question, does a practice owner need to offer health insurance to qualify for other benefits as you look at offering a, a package of benefit or maybe ask from a different perspective, do employees need to enroll enroll in health insurance to participate in, in other benefits? Yeah, so I'll, I'll answer this both ways. Um, but, but the short answer to both is no. So employers do not have to offer health insurance in order to offer dental plans or disability coverage or life insurance benefits or you know anything else that falls under that employee benefits umbrella. So all of these um, you know, benefits are available a la carte. And you know, we do encourage that decisions about each benefit get made separate and distinct from one another. Because what works well for one practice might not make sense for others. So we've got plenty of clients that offer a health insurance plan to their employees, and that's all that they offer. We also have plenty of clients that don't offer health insurance because for whatever reason, that's just not important to their employees or um, they're in a market where maybe they're near a military base and a lot of their employees are military spouses. And so their families are covered right through a government health plan option. So if they were to offer it, nobody would need it. Um, and so we don't right, spend time or, or money on something like that. But instead, um, you know, we'll invest in a, you know, dental program or disability benefits. And so, yeah, so absolutely, you can have, you know, one without the other. And then as an employee, if the employer does offer, you know, multiple different insurance plan options under that benefits umbrella, um, there is no requirement that you participate in the health insurance plan to be eligible for the other benefits. So there's no prerequisite that says you've got to have health to have dental or vision or life. They're all separate and distinct decisions that employees get to make. Perfect. So let's get creative yeah. for a second. Um, for the, those practices, smaller practices, and, and almost every optometry practice, independent optometry practice has less than 50. There's exceptions yep. to that but most of them would be considered small business. A lot of them, unless you're in a rural area, will look around and they'll be surrounded by larger employers. And this is becoming increasingly prevalent where we're hearing, I'm having trouble with retention because they're leaving for XYZ company, uh, some other business in the area, other bigger practices. So if we were going to get creative for a second, for those practices that look around and feel that sense of, I'm just I'm unable to compete with these larger employers. What are some perhaps unconventional benefits that that employers could be offering? Yeah, no, there's there's some things happening right now, um, you know, in the market. Some new, I, I'll say, emerging trends, and I'll you know I'll use that term generously. It might even be premature to to say that, but um, there's some things happening that we're really excited about right now, you know, as, as brokers, as advisors, um, just new opportunities for employers that, you know, didn't exist years ago uh, or um, were available, but would have required a lot more like management, you know, or active involvement at the employer level to offer some of these things. So, you know, outside of your traditional benefit umbrella, so I'll define that as health insurance, dental vision, life disability, those are kind of the core traditional employee benefits. Um, there are some really exciting things happen. So we're starting to see employers, you know, invest a lot more in mental health. So standalone, you know, teletherapy, 
um, at our virtual therapy benefits, right? Those options are now available and they're not super expensive, but can be really meaningful depending upon, you know, the nature of the workforce. Um, you know, we see employers investing in healthcare reimbursement arrangements. So even if they're not offering like an underlying health insurance plan, you know, putting up money that employees, you know, can draw upon to cover out-of-pocket medical expenses uh, is something that, you know, we're seeing more and more of. Um, and a new you know, sort of trend we're starting to see too is people being a little bit more thoughtful about how they're structuring those what I'll call healthcare reimbursement arrangements or HRAs. So instead of making the money available, um, you know, to any employee on an as needed basis, um, they might put some, um, you know, rules or criteria around the program that might say, you know, only the use of certain providers or certain facilities, you know, will qualify for reimbursement from the HRA, trying to steer employees, you know, with this incentive to higher quality, lower cost providers for given procedures. And of course, making some element of like advocacy, you know, or, you know, data analytics available where employees can easily identify who those top performing doctors are. So we're starting to see a lot more focus on like clinical outcomes and cost and, you know, quality of healthcare inside of benefit plan design. Um, and that's something that I'm, you know, really excited about um, is this idea of lifestyle spending accounts. So people are familiar with FSAs, so flexible spending accounts, right? Employees typically contribute their own money pre-tax that they can then use on medical, dental, or pharmacy, you know, vision or pharmacy expenses. People are familiar with HSAs, right? Very similar to FSAs, but employers can contribute in addition to employees. There's no forfeiture of any money that's contributed if not spent. But this new category, what I'll call lifestyle spending accounts is really, really, really interesting. So the idea here is that um, outside of a you know, traditional health insurance plan or benefits program, employers are investing in these accounts, essentially giving employees money to spend on um, whatever they want to spend on within certain parameters um, designed by the employer and then managed by a third party that specializes in establishing, you know, and managing these accounts, um, activating, um, you know, debit cards so people can use the funds, but where these cards are, you know, smart cards and, you know, only usable and, in certain places, but I'll give you a couple of examples. So um, this, you know, could be something really broad. So this could be wellness or, you know, overall well-being focused. So an employer might say, we're going to give employees a hundred bucks a month to spend on anything, you know, that falls into that wellness or well-being category. Um, but letting the employees decide, right, versus the employer telling them, here's, you know, how you get to, to spend that money, meaning these are now flexible benefits, right? It's really up to the member to choose, which is going to add a lot more value to the overall program when the employee feels like they're in control, because if they can use it as something that is meaningful to them, then all of a sudden it starts to feel like a real benefit. So in that, you know, broader well-being category, you might have people spending that money on a gym membership, you might have people buying a Peloton for their homes, right? And financing it. So it's, you know, whatever, 50 bucks a month for the next few years, but they're going to, you know, use the money that the employer is putting up to pay for that. Um, it could be things like haircuts or acupuncture or, you know, massage therapy. So again, you could be really broad in scope with something like that, or you can get really, really, really granular and really specific too. So one example that comes to mind, um, 
and I, I learned about this recently is the company Zoom. Uh, so, you know, the software that we're, we're using right today is we're having this conversation and then everybody knows now as a result of, you know, the sort of pandemic era work from home surge that, you know, we're all, we're all still living in. Um, they, you know, as part of just sort of like their, you know, ethos as a, as a company um, is that, you know, they want to be green and reduce their carbon footprint. Um, and as such, they attract a lot of employees that align with that mission. And so a lot of employees that work for them, you know, will drive an electric car, for example, right? Again, it's also sort of part of, you know, the culture there. They created, um, and I'm, you know, hearing this secondhand through a, through a vendor partner. So, you know, discount this a little bit, but um, they, they created a lifestyle spending account whereby employees who do drive an electric vehicle get 50 bucks a month, I believe it was, to spend on electric vehicle charging stations. So like very specific example, right? Very, very, very tailored in terms of like what the benefit is. But if you are somebody, right, that gets to take advantage of that, that's a really cool thing. And you might get really excited about that where you think of a health insurance plan and you're like, yeah, like health insurance, I have it. Uh, and I sort of expect to have it, but like, it's not, you know, super exciting and not like really energized to get up and go to work every day for a place that offers me health insurance, but like you do something really cool right in this other category and that can be a huge difference maker. And so, um, even small employers have these opportunities available and, you know, there's one vendor that comes to mind, you know, that we've, um, you know, started to collaborate with that manages these programs and, um, Look, it's not an insignificant investment, you know, I think to get started with them, it's something like uh, $10,000 a year, uh, not including the incentive, right? So it's 10 grand, right, just to, you know, um, have access to the platform. And then let's say you give everybody, you know, 100 bucks a month, that's in addition to but while that sounds really expensive, you know, when I think about your average health insurance plan, for example, if you're a small employer, let's just say you've got 10 people enrolled in health insurance, and you're giving each of them $300 a month you're spending 36 grand right a year on health insurance premiums. And if that's not the thing that's exciting people, right? They, you know, have options elsewhere, or it doesn't feel like a super rich benefit plan or whatever the case might be, investing that money elsewhere, right? Could yield a better result again, in terms of, you know, attraction and retention. So lots of really, you know, interesting, new, innovative things, you know, coming to market, a lot of this stuff has been tested for years by really large employers. And these things are starting to find their way down market to smaller employers. And, you know, this is the stuff that we get really excited about because this again, allows us as consultants to sit with a client and say, what do you want to do? Right. And someone says to us, you know, we want to reward employees that drive electric vehicles. Cool. Like, let's talk about what that looks like. Right. Like, how do we do that? Or we want to make it easier for employees to, um, see a therapist or get, you know, massage therapy or acupuncture again, like invest in themselves. Right. Um, we want, you know, to give people, you know, uh, access to self-care. Okay, great. Like, how do we do that? Right. And that's where this allows for a lot of, you know, room for creativity. And, you know, that's the stuff that any, you know, good insurance broker, you know, benefits consultant or advisor is going to get really excited about. So. We, and which some of these things might've not even been a discussion 10 years ago. I, I, you would know no more way. about that than I would. It, it's interesting as you go through these things, thinking about how trends change and again, what's important to other people. Um, you know, some of the things you mentioned were like telehealth, which is obviously, there's a lot of convenience with that, with, mm -hmm. with being able to access doctors when it's appropriate for that, for that format through telehealth. You mentioned like lifestyle spending accounts, wellness, culture, 
of Apraxa and values as you were talking about Zoom and carbon footprint and, you know, being able to attract people based on benefits you have that are aligned with similar cultures and, and just the overall values uh, to the employees. But the, when, when you look at what employers are willing to do now, insurance companies putting an emphasis on having healthy employees. There's obviously benefits to employers, but there's benefits to insurance companies as well. So them investing into these programs that will promote better health, wellness, things like that. It's, it is exciting. I'm not even in your, I'm not even a benefits person like you are. And it, it sounds exciting to me. Um, I'm going to take you, this might be outside your scope. So I don't mean to throw you a curveball here, but as you're talking about this and I'm thinking of talent acquisition, where would be a good time to, to, uh, to create awareness for these benefits? A lot of times, like in a job ad, I'll just see, we offer competitive pay and benefits. And, and that really, a lot of times it doesn't stand out there. And I mean, should that be part of a job ad? Should it be part of the interview? Wait till you're presenting a package. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And I think that's going to vary by employer and, you know, just how much they want to put out there, you know, and if someone is, you know, keeping something, you know, close, right, maybe they're doing something that is proprietary, or they're in an area where there's a lot of competition for the same talent, they may not want to be as forthcoming with some of the stuff that they're doing. Um, I, I would say that most people, I think, are probably getting into the details about the benefits program you know, during that interview process. So maybe not necessarily in the initial job posting or ad, but once they've now met the candidate, you know, the candidate's starting to ask questions about benefits or they think that this might be the right person to come work for them. Um, that's where I think it's critically important, especially if you're doing something really unique that you highlight that because that can be a difference maker for people. And, you know, especially in, in a lot of, um, you know, healthcare, you know, jobs where maybe someone's getting paid hourly, um, you know, and so you're advertising an hourly rate of, you know, 17 bucks an hour and the practice down the street, you know, is willing to pay 18. Well, if you've done a poor job, right, of also, you know, communicating that while it's true, right, we're going to pay you a little bit less, but we offer all of these other, you know, awesome things you get, you know, hundred bucks a month to spend on massage, whatever, right, whatever the thing is, um, right, then you're going to probably miss out on that candidate because, right, like people, if they don't know or they don't understand that these things exist, right, then they're going to make a decision based on what they do know. And it's very easy to look at two job offers side by side. And, you know, if the job is essentially the same, you're going to choose the one, right, that's going to pay you more. And so I think it's really important that during that process, employers, um, you know, are sharing this information. And I also think it's really important to continue to reiterate it and call attention to it. So after someone's been hired, right, you know, sending out whether it's monthly or quarterly, you know, just a, a newsletter or, you know, email to employees that, hey, hey, as a reminder, we have these benefits, make sure you're taking advantage of them. Um, during open enrollment to do a really good job communicating that all these benefits exist and what they're there for and how to participate and take advantage um, is critically important as well. There was a, you know, if we go back a while, as we look at full-time versus part-time, I think there was typically the expectation that benefits would only be for full-time employees. And I think we've seen some trends change there because the workforce now does include a lot more part-time employees. In eye care specifically, a lot of practices depend on part-time employees and are in that same scenario of having to acquire and retain. They don't always need a four, you know, whatever, 36, 40 hour a week employee, but they still need good employee. The person working 20 hours a week brings, you know, a, a lot of value to a practice. So from a, uh, from a partial 
uh, or for, from a part-time standpoint, can employers typically include part-timers in these benefits packages if, if they want? Yeah, and this is another opportunity for employers to differentiate themselves, and this is something that we're seeing more of. Um, so from a traditional health insurance standpoint, most insurance companies will let you drop the hour, um, the hourly eligibility threshold to something below 30 hours, which is the normal cutoff, you know, from a benefit standpoint for most between full-time and part-time. So we absolutely, you know, can make benefits more inclusive that way. But I think that this is an area where employers are really leaning into some of these untraditional or unconventional things. So while maybe the full health insurance plan is an offer to part-timers, they might create a, you know, an option that is a standalone telemedicine benefit, you know, coupled with, you know, something like one of these lifestyle spending accounts. Um, and then maybe like a full suite of like, you know, I'll say AFLAC type benefits. So critical illness, accident, hospital indemnity, and it doesn't have to be AFLAC or colonial. There's lots of carriers that specialize in these benefits, you know, on a true group basis where you can, you know, tailor the offering a little bit more, but, um, some of the, you know, I'll say like employee paid benefits. So, right. If it's employee paid, there's, you know, very little reason not to open up the, the opportunity to enroll to part-timers and where it's employer paid. I think employers have a lot of opportunities now to allocate those funds to benefits that are meaningful um, and to make everything more equitable. Uh, you know, for a long time, part-timers were often overlooked, right? Even as, you know, broker, I'm guilty of this, right? For years, you know, I'd start every conversation with a client and I'd ask everybody the same question. Tell me how many full-time employees you have, right? And they tell me, and then that's the focus, right? Of, you know, of our, of our time together. Um, and I think what's been really interesting and you know really cool over the last couple of years is that we're now starting to ask questions around how many part-timers do you have and what are you doing for them and how important are they, right, to you know, the practice, right, and to your organization. Do you have anybody that is full-time today that maybe has wanted to go part-time because they want more of a work-life balance or want to start a family or whatever the case might be, but are fearful that if they go from full-time to part-time, they're going to give up their 401k or their healthcare plan. And so that's been a deterrent. Can we solve for that? And I think, you know, more and more, uh, it's seeming like the answer is yes. So... From a um, from a time management standpoint, as with you know, I, probably anybody who owns operates a business, certainly small business, time is a, a critical factor, and a lack of time to do some of these things. So I think when we start talking about administrative tasks, this is where a lot of practice owners look at it like a necessary evil, and these things sometimes get kind of pushed to the back and um, not enough focus on it. So from a, a small business standpoint, most of which are practices, they don't have an yep. HR department. So beyond just managing the benefits themselves, what other responsibilities would an employer take on, uh, that, that chooses to offer health insurance or other benefits to their team? Yeah. So of course there's like the day-to-day -day administration of the benefits plan. So that's, you know, making sure that you're letting new hires know that they're eligible, getting them the information, getting them enrolled, terminating people when they no longer work for you, or if they move from, you know, for example, full-time to part-time and become ineligible. So managing the day-to-day -day is a big part of it. Um, and the amount of work associated with that is going to vary based on size of the practice, turnover, right? How much are you hiring? Um, you know, it's entirely possible that you've got a small practice that's had the same, you know, core workforce for 
20 years and there's no turnover and there's nobody new coming in. And so not a whole lot of effort goes into, you know, to managing this stuff day to day. And that's where I think you can really rely on a good insurance broker as well. Um, most brokers are willing to do ads and terms on behalf of their clients. Now the client still has to let, you know, the broker know, Hey, we just hired somebody, right? Like I would have no visibility into that, you know, unless I was in your practice every day. Um, but that's where, you know, having a good partner can make some of that a lot easier. And that's also where, um, accessibility to technology is making things a lot easier too. So, you know, if we're having this conversation five years ago, um, you know, it's at that point, you know, nearly impossible, you know, mostly unheard of for a smaller business to have, uh, you know, online or digital benefits enrollment platform where, you know, we're not filling out paper applications anymore, but employees are logging onto a website that's established for that business and making all of their benefit selections in one place. And it's, you know, generating a payroll deduction file for payroll and sending the enrollments to the carrier and, you know, kind of becoming this like central hub for all things benefits, um, you know, unheard of for smaller businesses, even just a few years ago. And today, I would say it's almost the opposite. Like the vast majority do have something like that in place today, or at the very least have it available to them. And then, you know, maybe decided against it for whatever reason. Um, and, and usually available at no or very little cost. And so, you know, access to technology has really transformed the experience and has really lessened the burden on, you know, practice owners and managers, just in terms of like data collection, administering the benefits and communicating, uh, you know, benefit availability to employees. Um, but besides the, you know, the day-to-day -day stuff, um, the other area that I think employers need to be aware of is compliance. And this is often one that's overlooked, mostly out of ignorance, because I think a lot of smaller employers, again, don't know what they don't know. And I think there is this assumption that if you're smaller, you don't have to comply with certain things. Um, and so you do right need to you know worry about whether it's COBRA or state continuation. And again, that's going to vary by size and state. But you need to have a process in place to administer continuation of benefits for someone that's no longer eligible that was participating. Um, all of those things can be outsourced or you know made uh, easier to manage. Um, you've got to have the right plan documents. You've got to have the you know required annual notices you know put together, completed, and distributed you know each year. Um, there are things like filings to, you know, or disclosures to CMS or the Centers for, you know, Medicaid and Medicare Services about the, you know, prescription uh, drug coverage credibility on your plan. So without getting too into the weeds, right, and making this, you know, a compliance focused discussion, there are things that employers need to do. But again, a good broker is going to be proactive in saying, here's what you need to do. Here's the resources available to make this easier for you. Um and go from there. So none of this stuff, you know, should be a deterrent, like none of these things, you know, on their own are reason not to offer benefits. But if somebody is offering benefits today, and hasn't had a good partner, hasn't been exposed to what they need to do, or doesn't have a good process in place to administer the benefits, and maybe they've gotten burned, it certainly could be a reason why somebody stops offering benefits, right, and is hesitant to jump back in. And we see that all the time, you know, where, um, you've got somebody working for you, they're enrolled in your health insurance plan, they leave the practice. Six months later, you realize they're still on the bill and you've been paying their premiums for six months. Mm -hmm. Well, that happens a couple of times. And at some point, right, you just get frustrated enough that you're like, 
forget this, like this is just too much and we're wasting all this money and I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's where things tend to break down with the right communication, the right process, you know, the right technology and the right partner, all of that stuff can be solved for. Yeah. I, I think a, a theme of this, as you've said a couple of times, you don't know what you don't know. And on, on the compliance standpoint, it got me thinking about, there's a company we work with that will handle HIPAA compliance for our practices. And some practices will say, well, what, what do I need to do? They want to kind of take that on by themselves. And it, it's pretty broad what needs to be mm-hmm. done. The company we work with makes actually simplifies it for them. But some people want to take on those sort of responsibilities. And my thought is usually you, you, you don't want to know all that. That's not the best use of your time. Focus on these, focus on growing the practice, focus on leading your team, focus on other areas of the practice. But when it comes down to running a business, some things you need to outsource just makes more sense to me. And I'll say, don't, you don't want to know all that. That doesn't benefit you unless you're going to go into that field. There's people out there that, that who are going to know a lot more than you do. And I always look at through the standpoint of opportunity cost, right? If you're spending so much time focused on this to save a few bucks, you're really missing out on the other things that you could be doing that are really going to drive a lot more growth and revenue in the practice. So for sure. Yeah, um, I couldn't agree more. And there are reasons why people specialize in this stuff, right? Because mm-hmm. it is very nuanced, it's complicated, and it's ever changing, right? So like rules and regulations are always changing too. And so yeah, better to let somebody else handle that so that you can, right? Like you said, focus on running your practice, growing your practice. If you could cut out an hour a day of administrative effort, um, you could see another patient maybe, right? Which should more than make up, you know, over time for what, you know, you were spending to, to outsource that or even better, you can leave the practice at a reasonable hour, right? And not be bringing work home and, you know, go have, right? That, that work-life balance that's, you know, so important to people. Um, because you and I both know, right? We see this every day. The reality is if you have to do all the administrative stuff that you've burdened yourself with, you're still going to see the extra patient, right? So you're still going to allow, you know, people to come in or same day appointments or whatever. And so what, what that means is you're just doing all the paperwork and all that stuff, you know, at six, seven, 10 o'clock at night. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of that stuff really can be outsourced efficiently um, and cost effectively to make everything easier for the practice owner. So. So my last question for you, Corey, is what should a business owner look for in an insurance broker? I'm going to give you a chance in a minute to, to mention your company and how people would get in touch with you, but just in general, because sometimes people will ask about this and they'll say, well, I'm in this part of Nebraska. What, you know, do you have any recommendations? And no, I don't, I don't know, like a brokers all over the country. Um, but then the question will kind of move to, well, what should I look for? So I'm really interested in your opinion on, on yeah. what would the qualities, because you mentioned before, sometimes, uh, you know, having the same access to the same plans. And so it goes beyond that. What are some of those things that they should look at? Yeah. So, and I, you know, and I think I probably touched on, on some of this, you know, and talking through, uh, you know, some of the things that, you know, a broker should be doing or could be doing, but if I had to distill it down, I, I would say a good broker is proactive, right? So they're not waiting for the client to come to them and say, for example, hey, I just got my renewal. It looks like our costs are going up. What are we going to do about it? Right. But instead, that broker is reaching out to the client well in advance of that renewal saying, what are we going to do? What's working? What's not working? You know, where do we want to take your benefits program? What's changed with your workforce? What's changed, you know, with your business? Um, right. So on and so forth. And not just at renewal time, but as they're learning about new trends or new things, right. Are they bringing that stuff to their, their client's attention? So I think proactivity is key. Um, 
there's so many things that we can't control, right? As insurance brokers, as employers. Um, and I think oftentimes the renewal process for many feels very rushed and causes a lot of anxiety and, you know, leaves you making decisions without feeling like you've had all the information or have explored every option. And one of the things that we can control is just starting earlier, right? And so by, you know, building a longer runway, we can take a lot of anxiety out of that process. So I think proactivity is key. Um, I think a good broker is prescriptive. So again, right, a good broker is not afraid to insert themselves and say, this is what you should be doing, or this is what I recommend, because now they should have a good reason why they're making that recommendation. And usually, right, that's going to be driven by experience, right, expertise, exposure to other similar businesses. So, you know, I would say a good broker partner, you know, for a, you know, optometrist office or other healthcare practice, someone that has a lot of experience working with other similar businesses. Why? Because similar businesses tend to have a lot of the same challenges, similar workforce demographics, right? Similar age ranges, incomes, um, similar needs, and then similar business challenges, you know, lean management team, nobody specializing in benefits, you know, primarily things like that. And if you've solved those challenges for a number of others, chances are you could probably solve those same challenges for the next client. And so it might not be relevant, you know, to an optometrist that you've got a lot of experience as a broker working with car dealerships very different, you know, workforce dynamic, right, you know, different needs, uh, different, you know, business overall. And so finding a partner that is experienced and helping others like you and isn't afraid to be a little bit more prescriptive, I think is key as well. You know, I, I find often, um, you know, insurance brokers, you know, becoming more like order takers, you know, the client tells me what they want, and then I go do it. Well, you're the expert, right? Uh, you know, I wouldn't go see my doctor and tell them what I want them to do to me, mm -hmm. right? And then they're going to do it. I'm coming to them so they can tell me right, what they think they can diagnose and they can prescribe. And I think as insurance brokers that, you know, we've got a responsibility to do the same. Now, you've got to leave room for flexibility and collaboration, right? So you've got to be, you know, willing to make recommendations, but then also able to take a step back and say, okay, but now that I've made my recommendation, what do you like? What don't you like? Is there something else we should be looking at? Because ultimately this has to make sense for that employer and for their specific workforce, but you've got to be able to give them a starting point. Um, and if somebody that wasn't offering health insurance today called me and said, we want to offer health insurance. And I said, great. What do you want to do? <laughs> right? Like that's not super helpful. So there's that. And then I just think lastly that, you know, a good insurance broker is supportive. So, you know, I, I mentioned at the start, you know, that far too often we're finding the relationship between, you know, broker and, and client, especially in the small business market, becoming much more transactional, um, you know, where you maybe place the coverage and roll a few people and sure you're happy to help if they reach out and ask for it, but otherwise you're fairly disengaged. Um, I think, you know, a good broker is really supportive and that's ongoing, not just once a year at renewal, but they're there, right? They're picking up the phone, they're returning emails, they're bringing new ideas, they're pushing compliance information as things change to the client, they're checking in regularly. And the client knows that if they need something, they can count on that person. Um, and I think that there are plenty of insurance brokers, you know, that operate that way, right? And very much, you know, see themselves in the same light that, uh, you know, a client looks to their accountant or their attorney, right? Like we want to be held, uh, you know, to the same standard um, in that when you hire that person, you're hiring them for that expertise, you believe them to be, you know, a worthwhile partner and, uh, you know, want to know that you can count on them. I, I think that part about being prescriptive is something that 
definitely doctors can find relatable because it's similar to that experience as well in the exam lane where what, what do you want as the patient you want someone to listen to you and understand what's important to you but at the same time as a patient you're there wanting that that professional feedback that guidance um the you know that that support from the from the doctor so i i can see that being very relatable to um to our eye care community so so thanks very much Corey. this has been incredibly uh helpful informational i think a lot of our members will get a lot out of this again it's that administrative thing that they don't they don't teach that in school and all of a sudden you find yourself with these administrative responsibilities this is definitely one of them and the ability to compete again i think where we started with those large employers so very insightful thank you very much where can people learn more about you and your company yeah. yep so people can visit um uh, alera group a l e r a g r o u p.com to learn more about our firm more broadly we are a large national insurance brokerage and benefits consulting firm um anybody can get in touch with me uh directly at corey c-o-r-y dot friedman f-r-i-e-d-m-a-n at aleragroup.com so first name dot last name i invite anybody um you know that has questions about insurance or benefits or trends or you know wanting to do more for their employees to reach out and i'm happy to have a conversation um and you know i spend a great deal of time you know trying to convince people not to do stuff right sometimes not doing something is the right answer too and so um i like i said i invite anybody that's you know just curious or wanting to learn more about what's possible to reach out let's have a conversation i think it's important for uh you know members to to be aware that um you know there is no one product or solution that we're married to um you know we truly are independent you know of any insurance company or vendor partner and you know work on our clients behalf to help them execute on their vision for their benefits program and so you know what that means is you know somebody coming to us you know looking for you know for example an association based health insurance plan where we're pooling practices together and you know achieving some sort of perceived you know buying power and offering discounted health insurance is going to be disappointed because it doesn't exist but um somebody that's you know looking for a partner that's going to really try to understand what they need and what they're looking for for their own practice and can lean into a decade's worth of experience helping others solve many of those same challenges i think is going to be you know happy to find that you know our team is here to provide that guidance and you know we'll go find the right carrier the right solution the right vendor and leave a lot of room for flexibility so we truly can tailor something um to the unique needs of that of that business perfect well thanks again corey and thanks for the work that you and alara group are doing with uh especially with smaller businesses like the ones that that we work with so so very much appreciated and we'll close out here if, if uh thanks for listening if you'd like more information about idoc and how we work with ODs to help grow their practice. You can find out more at IDOC, that's IDOC.net. So this has been great. Thanks, Corey. And thanks to everyone for listening. Yeah, thanks for having me.